Talk Radio. Great old song by Steve Voss. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and welcome to another installment of Perspectives on America. I'm your host and commentator for the next two hours, Jeffrey Bennett. You're listening to this program live this 12th day of March, 2010. Talk Radio. The truth is on Talk Radio. Now, the reality is this program is, shall we say, somewhat live. Um, once a month, my wife and I have a commitment with some friends of ours on a Friday night. Well, this is that Friday night, and as you're listening to the program, well, I'm not here, but we recorded this program about six hours ago. (laughs) Now, I know that comes as a shock to some of you, and you don't like to hear things like that, but in realizing what we had to, wanted to do for this program, uh, and I was doing some research earlier in the week on some projects I'm working on. And it dawned on me that I would like to go back into the archives. I want to go back into some work that that I have personally been involved with over the past seven, eight, nine years. And share some of those comments with you. Now, these are not necessarily in chronological order, but they are in an order that may, in fact, make sense to you. Each and every one of these pieces we're going to share with you over the next two hours is based on and in fact are columns that that i wrote for one reason or another for publication either on the federal observer or elsewhere and even though there may be some dated commentary in some of them it is the mindset and the thought process of of what was meant and what i was trying to get across to the public during the course of those rantings so allow me to begin with a column that was originally published October the 15th, 2006, entitled Wall Street in Las Vegas, on wing and a prayer. The daring young man on the flying trapeze. I'd not made the trip since December of three while visiting Barrel's Head Bill and Fanny Kick and Shoot at the SASS convention at the Riviera. Call came to us in early August of that year. My wife's sister and niece, Alex, were coming to Vegas to spend time together near the end of the summer before my sister-in-law had to return to work. I asked my wife if she wanted to go see her sister. Well, 
what do you think she said? So we decided to make the five-and-a-half-hour trip from Phoenix, but Alex wasn't, however, too excited about spending a few days in Crapsville with three old fogies and figured she'd be bored out of her mind. Now, Alex is a commercial artist for a huge company in the Windy City and studied art history in college, and therefore she and I had something in common. Art. You see, art, my friends, is history. Art is good. Art is much more than a product. It is the highest form of human endeavor. Now, throughout my life, I've had works of fine art all around me, in my mother's house and those of my grandparents and great-grandparents. And upon marrying my wife in 1970, amongst the gifts which we received were three lithographs from the works of James Whistler. I, you remember Whistler, Whistler's mother. They still hang in our home among the works of other artists, including Alexander Nikita, Salvador Dali, Pino, once famous for his romance novels, uh, his covers with Mr. I can't believe it's not butter fame. The fun part has now become watching my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, who, by the way, is now five, go around the house and name the works by artists' names. Well, Alex and I spent that weekend discussing art while the two teachers discussed schools, students, and curriculum. In between the tour of the Highline Casinos of Sin City, seeing Celine Dion's show at Caesars, dropping a few bucks on the machines, I took Alex to several galleries in Vegas, including the, by the way, now-closed Galleria de Sorrento at Caesars Palace, which featured the works of Pino, Bill Mack, Dr. Seuss, and others. We went to entertainment galleries at the Venetian, featuring the works of Hirschfeld, Gordon Parks, uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, he painted, by the way. Rolling Stone's Ronnie Wood. Hey, screw this guy's music. This cat can paint. And finally, what has become my second home in Vegas, the Centaur Sculpture Galleries, which has on display and for sale works by... Whistler, Dali, Toulouse-Lautrec, Picasso, Marc Chagall, uh, 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 Niemann, Renoir, many others. Well, the art which my wife and I own has merely allowed us to become, well, caretakers for a while, just as I have been for nearly a half a century with my collection of old Hollywood graphics. Well, hopefully our children and grandchildren will one day reap the rewards of that which Dotto and Hemi have had the vision to possess, or at least take care of. Well, at the MGM, I played a nickel machine that paid quite well, although winning 400 nickels only netted you 20 bucks. Alex and I found a quarter machine that paid somewhat better. It kept us entertained for about 90 minutes before it played out, along with the funds we began with. On our last morning together, the four of us had brunch at New York, New York, and then ventured onto the casino floor for one last try at fame, with or without fortune. I pulled out a 20, stuck it into the slot, and said, whatever we win, we'll split it four ways and hopefully pay for the trip. On the third spin of the wheels, bang, a $90 return. And we cashed it in and laughed. The winnings didn't pay for one dinner, but it was worth the turn. Figured my wife and I might be back in December to take in Phantom and see Bill and Fanny, but, well, little did we know. Three weeks later, I called my wife and told her to pack. We were heading back to Vegas. No, Chevy Chase and the family weren't up there, but we were going back anyway. This time, we'd mix business with a little pleasure, as one of the galleries had expressed an interest in one of our dollies, and while we were there, we would take in another show, this time at the Flamingo. 
you know, the place founded by, don't call me Bugsy Siegel back in the 40s. What a visionary this guy was. They even have a bar named Bugsy's and a marvelous restaurant named Steakhouse 46 in honor of the year they started rolling the dice. This casino, although showing its age, has, well, more class and history than any of the other venues on the Strip, boasting of Hollywood-type architecture and Disney-style animation. Well, it sure beats the Tropicana, which seems to cater more to the... uh uh, the Griswold crowd, if you catch my drift, although it does have the Titanic display. Spent several more hours at Centaur Galleries, studied more of the great works by masters, impressionists, modern artists. Now, I'm not buying it this time, but I am still studying, researching, learning more with each trip. And to be able to view these pieces, some original works of art outside of elusive art museums, just makes me appreciate history that much more. Looking at pieces painted or produced during such times as the American Revolution, or even before the French Revolution of the mid-1800s, our Civil War period, you know, the War of Northern Aggression, and other periods, is simply, it's amazing to me. I've been looking at an aqua tint wood block lithograph for several trips now, which was printed in 1730. Frankly, I've always wanted to own that piece just because of the historical aspect. 1730, mind you. That, you know, 40-some-odd years before, 50-some-odd years, I guess, before the American Revolution. Renoir? Oh, sure, but I can't afford it. Could this art be a crapshoot? A spin of the wheel, a pull of a handle? As with other arenas of investment, my friends, only time will tell. You know, I learned a long time ago that when it comes to collectibles, don't purchase it because someone tells you it's a good investment. Buy it because you like it. And my friends, it's the same with stamps and rare coins. We've done our homework, and we like what we've done. Oh, by the way, I returned to City. Sin City once more during the week of October 9th with my friend Bill O'Brien, who made his biannual trip to spend a week with me. Of course, during that particular week, the North Koreans shot off a nuclear test missile. The Dow continued to break record after record. Some pitcher from the New York Yankees, who I'd never heard of, but then I don't follow the sport anyway, crashed his single-engine plane into a 50-story high-rise in New York, momentarily fueling speculation of another terrorist attack. Detroit Tigers cleaned house and were tagged to go to the World Series against either the Mets or St. Louis Cards. So what else happened? Well, during that week, the Federal Observer took the week off. Back to New York, New York. Same dollar slot. Dropped in a 10 spot, pulled the handle. 150 bucks. Took my cash and quit, baby. Bill purchased a piece of art by Leroy Neiman from Centaur Galleries, which he will treasure. I purchased two film-related pieces from Entertainment Galleries, which, well, at the time I couldn't wait to hang in my studio, and frankly, they're still hanging here. Well, the week began once more. Once I got back to work, Wall Street was open for business. So was Washington, D.C. We had weeks before the midterm elections of 2006 at that time. and It was suggested that as many as 30 Republican seats in the U.S. Congress could be lost to the dumbo craps due in part to the Well, at that time, the Foley fallout, but now it could be the health care fallout, and it's probably going to go in just the opposite direction. 
We had the ongoing war. We had economics of the land, all which were putting further pressure on the then-president, inept Waldo, and his band of merry men, women, and, well, the other kind, too. Only 350,000 first-time applicants for unemployment applied that week. Gasoline prices slowed up their downward slide. Hot damn, Martha, it's down to two twenty-nine a gallon, a buck less than six weeks ago. Bush is doing a great job running the country. Yeah, sure is slick, but six years prior to my writing this particular column, gas was uh, just under a buck and... Three years prior to that, was a it was a buck thirty five. The real estate market around the country is on a fast moving snow sled to hell. Is now one in four hundred and fifty homes in Michigan are in foreclosure. Indiana, Ohio, and Georgia ain't doing much better. While a whole bunch more bunch of morons in Utah also fell into the mortgage your butt to the hilt reference trap. In Arizona, many homes were down 20% in value from the previous year. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now March of 2010. Some of those homes are down another 40 to 50%. But let's just go on and support this Prez I Don't with everything we have. Don't worry, folks. Under this administration, before it's all over, he'll have taken everything we once had. He's already crap-grabbed the Constitution and Bill of Rights. Let's keep the Dow for dummies moving to the stratosphere, not the casino in Vegas now. We're not talking about that stratosphere. Yep, we can show the sheep, but we're really in great shape as a nation. All of this will translate into votes come November. Won't it? I certainly hope so. Vote every damn one of motto office. Yes, sirree, Bob. It's the wheel of fortune. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, it's interesting, that which we've shared up to you at this point in time certainly is dated. But have the circumstances really changed in Washington, D.C., my friends? I somehow don't think so. Well, on that particular trip, Bill and I spent one last night together before he had to uh, hop on board the train to head back east. 48 hours on the train from Flagstaff to Pennsylvania sure beats putting up with the BS at the airports. And besides, you get to meet some interesting folks and see the country, all while avoiding an anal probe by some undereducated idiot from Homoland Security. And after I left Bill off the station, I went back to the hotel, picked up my stuff, and hit the highway for the two-hour-plus ride back home. Took off while it was still dark outside that morning. Witness to another beautiful Arizona sunrise. Teasing the mountains with shadows and light. But it was while driving on the Arizona road that the analogy of Wall Street and Las Vegas, rare coins and fine art, hit me square in the face. As I've stated for many years on this program, the American people turn over too much of their lives to so-called experts on one thing or another. We no longer accept responsibility for anything in our lives. We expect our doctors and dentists to provide for our physical health and wealth by making and keeping us well. Call the doctor, take two aspirin. Yeah, baby, that's the ticket. And yet many of our health problems can be prevented or treated with exercise and proper diet. But, oh, no, dummy nose delivers, and you, too, can have a Big Mac attack or dine out at your favorite choke-and-puke establishment because plastic pills doled out by the pharmaceutical companies 
and sanctioned by the American Murder Association will always be there for you. And remember, my friends, always read the warning label. If you are one prone to having sex or getting up in the morning, or if you regularly require sleep at night, taking these pills may be hazardous to your health. Well, we then turn around and expect our spiritual health to be delivered by our priest, our minister, our rabbi, our shaman. Forget about the fact that the Almighty gave us a rule book to follow. Get up on Saturday or Sunday morning. Get on down to your local house of worship. Leaving your wallet at home is not an option, by the way. Listen to some politically correct spiritual advisor and line his collection plate, all in the name of Jesus or whomever, and have them tell you how to get through the pearly gates. If you haven't had enough, Wednesday evenings are optional. But don't worry, folks, you can sin right up before his return, momentarily convert to whatever, and you'll receive a one-way ticket to the Lord's limo to eternity. And if you are a politician, you'll get to sit right up in front with the little boys and girls. That's right, and Ted Kennedy will be the driver right over the River Jordan. Hmm. Well, finally, we come to the one area that most folks are concerned with, their financial wealth, their money. Average American puts his or her full faith and trust in their banker, their insurance salesman, their stockbroker, someone else to have and to hold your money. Do you really expect these people to do a better job with your money? Because it's easier to hire someone to do the job that Americans will not do. Uh, that line, of course, was unabashedly stolen from the illegal immigration debate. Yes, sir, Bob, call your stockbroker, or more than likely he'll call you with a hot pick of the week. Sell some old, buy some new chum churn, baby churn. He racks up a commission each and every time he rolls you out of one into another. But, old baby, the Dow's ready to hit another all-time high. you got to get in before the opportunity is gone, before the train leaves the station. <laughs> well, excuse the poop out of me, but the caboose done left the track about 15 years ago. There ain't no conductor to cover your backside anymore, folks. It has been historically proven that a healthy market offers stocks with P&E ratios trading at about 17 to 1. Today, 70 80, even 120 to 1 is the norm, and it takes a lot of inertia for that sucker to pay you anything. Dividends, growth, whatever. A 10, 11, 12,000 Dow or 12,000 Dow is indicative of the 30 major industrial offerings at any specific time. Now, I would suspect that the members change quite often as majors, uh, uh, such as General Motors and Ford, they're not doing so hot these days. Well, General Motors is just about in the sewer. Ford, man, you know, hey, since I wrote this column, General Motors went BK, belly up, baby, upside down. Even this week it was announced Cadillac is severing their name from the General Motors logo. Cadillac does not want to be associated with the lowly General Motors name any longer. So, you know, we faced plant closures, permanent layoffs. Where's the payoff in all these deals? Where are the dividends? Zip, zilch, nada. And that's only those 30 stocks. What about the other gazillion offerings on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ and the S&P? There's tens of thousands of them, but you're too stupid to do your own studies. Well, at least that's what these overpaid money jocks want you to believe. 
I'm a professional. Let me take care of your money, boy. And so, my friends, who? Other than the big insider, institutional traders, who really makes money on Wall Street? The guy who takes responsibility for his or her own wealth, does their own homework, finding out where the true undervalued stocks are, not necessarily the cheapest, but the true undervalued stocks, and acts accordingly. These are the people who will see their real wealth grow. But that's not what the average investor will ever do. It's easier to hire Bob and Barbara Broker to do the job for you. And that way I can always blame someone else for sticking it to me. (laughs) Well, it's just about sunrise at Table Mason. I'm almost home now. I begin to see the reality of Wall Street. The New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, and the rest need to relocate to Vegas, baby. I mean, I can see it now. Each exchange will be glitzy and full of glamour. Oh, come on, raise Circus Circus and rebuild the New York Stock Exchange, now to be called the Las Vegas Stock Exchange. Build it right there on the same site. Well, now, wait a minute. Maybe they don't have to tear down Circus Circus because I kind of like the idea of a high-wire act floating with the greatest of ease over the pits of the exchanges. Rather adds to the circus atmosphere, don't you think? They could even provide a bevy of topless waitresses and showgirls before they milk you dry. Each time a new stock is introduced on the big board, they could make a bigger and better spectacle of it than they do in the Big Apple by having the CEO of the new stock pull the handle on a giant slot machine to find out if it'll be a winner or a loser. All of this will give new meaning to the traditional slot machine sound of bling, 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 bling heard throughout every casino as they hypnotize you into a drunken stupor. Yeah, the old stardust was imploded. Of course, they could have then put the NASDAQ on that site, along with those new $3 million condominiums. And so you ask, where's the analogy, Bennett? Now, folks, if you haven't figured it out yet, then maybe you aren't as bright as I thought you were. I mean, come on, everybody's always looking for the big payoff, whether it's buying another hundred or a thousand shares of some overvalued stock or dropping another nickel or quarter or dollar in the machine. The next purchase from my broker provides the same false hope as put another nickel in the machine. The Blue Rinse crowd keeps pumping those one-armed bandits day after day after day, and they get the same results as they do from their broker. And many of them, my friends, just get broker. And the Bush economy was doing fine, and the Obama economy is doing even better. Thank you very much. Let's face it, folks. The odds always favor the House. We'll be back with some further commentary.
drugs, guns, and rock and roll. <laughs> of a leftover scene from the 60s. But it got your attention, didn't it? Unfortunately, they're not the only things left over from the decades of peace and love, my friends. During that decade, we saw the birth of free love, forgetting that with everything, there is a price to pay. Nations become steeped in moral decay as the epidemic of AIDS is spread worldwide. Some say it was a virus developed in the U.S. Others say it was caused by monkeys, and still others who believe it was caused by the rampant spread of deviant sexual behavior. Does it really matter at this point what the cause was? You see, as a nation... We, the people of the United States, never seem to heed the lessons of history. Sodom and Gomorrah set the stage so long ago, and yet today, anything seems to go in America, and we as a society have turned to stone. Our schools have become proving grounds for alternative sex education classes. Our children are being taught to accept anything which is considered outside the norm. And homosexuality is now openly being taught in the government-run fool system. Sanctioned and promoted by administrations who got their education during that same tumultuous decade. All the while, parents sit at home and do absolutely nothing. I guess that their parents had taken too many drugs, thereby transferring the dead brain cells to their children. <laughs> Over the last week or so, we've been privileged to share with you much commentary about the education system in America. I hope you'll stay with us. We'll be back after these few messages from the network. Jeff Bennett here on Perspectives on America, right here on the Micro Effect.
supposed to be playing the next piece that's up for next (laughs) welcome back to perspectives on america jeff bennett here behind the mic sharing with you on this um on this day some columns that were written anywhere from two to seven eight years ago by myself and it's interesting to review them and realize how little has actually changed how you can change the name of the president, you can change the name of a senator, you can change the name of the so-called party in power, but nothing ever really changes. As Lewis Milestone said in the 1932 film Grand Hotel, people come, people go, nothing ever changes at the Grand Hotel. Sharing with you now a column from uh, uh, this particular piece written in May of 2002 entitled Sex, Drugs, Guns, and Rock and Roll. Now, guns, what does that have to do with the 60s? Well, remember the Kennedys and Martin Luther King, Oswald, Saran, Saran, Kent State? Same liberal dope smokers, inhalers or not, are now running the zoo, which we call Congress. Same dope smokers have been reinventing the education system so that we can staff all schools and special child psychologists who liberally dispense Ritalin and Prozac to our so-called troubled youth. Remember Columbine High School and the others? These socialist leaders and educators must have inhaled a lot because, well, let's face it, they want to disarm America. And we'll go to any length to reinterpret the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to so as to achieve their goals. Uh, read communist goals, if you don't mind. But you see, my friends, the sheeple go along without question. What about rock and roll? 
Well, other than being a 1930s slang for fornication, George W. Bush brought the likes of Bono and Ozzy Osbourne to the White House. Oh, heck, Clinton did it. Bush thinks about it. Uh, inhaling, I mean. Of course, Nixon did bring in uh, Elvis and Obama. He brought in Jay-Z and Beyonce. They were invited into the Situation Room. <laughs> Come on, if Bill Clinton would have been there, he'd have left Jay-Z out in the hall. Well, he'd have taken Beyonce into the Situation Room. What are these characters thinking about? Future votes? From some of our AIDS-infected, dope-smoking, homosexual youth? Wow! What a fantasy! Well, let me see. What else? Oh, yeah. We still don't have the guts to tell Israel to get off the dime. I mean, come on, my friends. They've proven to be amongst the biggest mooches in our history. We don't have the guts to tell them to stand on their own two feet and deal with the problems, problems which they have caused to begin with. Retired Admiral Thomas Moore, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, speaking of Israel, once stated, I've never seen a president, I don't care who he is, stand up to them. They always get what they want. If the American people understood what grip these people have on our government, they would rise up in arms. Hmm. Maybe that's the reason they want our guns. Remember the USS Liberty? At what cost, Israel? Yeah, my friends, beyond all of that, we watch daily a government gone awry, steeped in corruption. And as we stated at the beginning of this particular commentary, nothing is free. There is a price to pay for everything. The sins of our mothers and fathers are coming home to roost due to the apathy of the American sheeple. Yeah, well, I guess there's plenty to keep the Federal Observer coming your way for quite a while. As for me, well, see at the movies. Maybe. <laughs> we'll be back.
Steve Voss, black and white. I can't tell you how many times over the last probably two or three years that I receive an email once in a while with a lot of pictures from the, you know, 57 Chevys and Ozzy and Harriet and Ward and June Cleaver and the Beaver and, and, and just, you know, the signs and images of that period of time in the 1950s. And invariably, every time I, I receive that email, and, and my good friend Fizz has sent it out to me a number of times, um, the words to this song are always spelled out. But nowhere is reference to Steve Voss, the author of this song, ever given. It's uh, simply amazing to me. I typically will respond and let them know exactly who wrote that piece of music. Some of Steve Voss's albums are still available through our Federal Observer catalog we invite you to visit. And uh, believe me, we'll make them well worth your while. It's some of the most amazing music from a a guy who has been through the trenches like so many of us. And uh, one of these days I'll share Steve's bio with you and maybe even invite Steve to come on the program and uh, share some of his newer works. He's gone on to win some um, uh, some Grammy Awards for his work with uh, children's music, etc., because he believes that the children are the future. I just hope that there'll be a future around for them to take control of and do something with it. But don't count on this current education system to smarten these kids up. We are taking this uh, Friday, and uh, let, let's say a couple of quick bits of business, by the way. If you've not done so and you're listening, we do invite you to uh, uh, continue to stay with us here at the Micro Effect for some great programming coming up the rest of the evening, as we have on this network each and every day. But while you're here, if you're listening on the Internet, please jump on www.talkstreamlive.com. Uh, you'll see a listing of programs that are airing throughout the course of this hour. Perspectives on America is the name of this program. And uh, I'm your host, Jeffrey Bennett. Please select Perspectives on America. Cast your vote for that program. And you do so by, once you select it, it'll open up the term, the micro effect, the second page for the micro effect. You can vote five times for your respective program within a given hour. And uh, it helps. It is helping make America far more aware of this network and what it stands for and where we plan on going with it. But we are taking this uh, this Friday, and I've gone back into my personal archives, pulling out some some columns that I wrote for one reason or another. Obviously, it was during a different time. In most instances, George W. Bush Jr. or Shrub was our president during that time frame. But as I mentioned earlier, you can change the name of the, the ruling party. You can change the name of the president. But things don't truly change in Washington, D.C., do they? They certainly don't seem to change out on the street. Um, during a period of time, uh, I would say in the early 2000s, as a matter of fact, the column I'm about to share with you was originally written on October the 27th. Um, uh, 2002, so obviously it's eight years old. I was in the midst of a uh, uh, a battle for gun rights at that time with my good friends Karma Lewis and uh, her future husband, Dennis, um, uh, over gun rights issues, specifically those that had to do with arming commercial airline pilots, and time allowing, maybe we'll share that story with you. 
This particular column is entitled The Numbers Game. How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Socialists. The Sniper News, the gun talk continues. So what's new, we begin. The opinions and commentary are still coming in from every corner of our debauched society, and while the Federal Observer continues its coverage of the debate from both sides of the aisle, we find that other stories of importance are being ignored, and depending upon the length of this column I stated, we may be, we may choose to ignore them as well. But first to the topic of gun control. A column currently running on the Armed Females of America website is indicative of just how hot the subject of gun ownership, safety of our families, and the right to keep and bear arms has become once again. From both sides, we see anger arising, an inability to get our points across without getting PO'd at our adversaries. Each is guilty of the infringement of the rights of freedom of speech of the other. Name-calling, accusations, attacking each other personally. It just doesn't cut it. Now, I have personally known Karma, National Director for Armed Females of America, for some years and am aware of her dedication to our mutual cause. I do not know the attorney who has chosen to attack her in the vile method which he has chosen, and yet... As an outsider to the events known as email, I can only comment on what I've read, as written by he and others. First of all, we're playing a deadly numbers game in America today. Polls, you see, are number-based. Censuses are based upon the numbers of ethnicity, poverty, wealth, male or female citizens, how many children in the family, etc. We have a government who has chosen, with our permission, due to the lack of the responsibility of protest, to attempt intrusions into our gun-owning lives through our doctors and the teachers in the public fool system. I expect that the U.S. Census, which, by the way, in 2010 is upon us again, will incorporate these questions into their questionnaire, or demandaire, as I call it, we are barraged daily with statistics or numbers of those killed by accident or murder with guns and cars and baseball bats and a sundry of other diabolical devices. We're never told how many deaths or murders are committed by the medical uh, profession due to negligence or malpractice. The American people just wouldn't go to their doctors any longer, thereby causing the economic collapse of a nation? <laughs> Oh, but don't worry about these things, my friends. It'll only hurt for a little while till you're broke or dead. And attorneys will be lining their pockets along the way defending murderers of all types. One of the things that bothered me about the comments from Michael Bannerman, aside from his personal attacks, like most members of his profession, is that they use words in a fashion more applicable to a Perry Mason courtroom drama. Although he claims to have been shooting since he was six years of age, he, as most supporters of gun control, seem to lack the understanding of what we face today, having nothing to do with gun control, but people control. As stated in Lewis Goldberg's column of October 14th of 2002, we have the means at our disposal 
to turn America into a gated community instead of a prison yard. And yet to me, my friends, if we continue on this path, we will in fact become the prison yard. John Fitzgerald Kennedy once stated, Today, we need a nation of Minutemen, citizens who are not only prepared to take arms, but citizens who regard the preservation of freedom as the basic purpose of their daily life, and who are willing to consciously work and sacrifice for that freedom. Well, as of the day we are airing this program, of course, gun control is not at the top of anyone's list, although don't kid yourself, it's always skulking around in the shadows. But there are those who call for more stringent gun control measures and new legislation, and yet we have thousands of laws on the books today which cannot and will not be enforced due to members of Mr. Attorney's profession, and that's a small M, by the way who have used the system to get perpetrators off the hook by intricate nuances, which they and their colleagues have clearly devised in order to manipulate the system. Consider Bannister Bannerman's, or Barrister Bannerman's own words. He says, The Sixth Amendment guarantees defendants the right to counsel, which taxpayers like you foot. I can get shooters off and have how many violent murderers and rapes have taken place in this nation because of the needs of the bar to get their client off on technicalities, my friends. That's one of the numbers you won't be reading about anytime soon. Karma's response to Bannerman was, quote, while lawyers like you are manipulating judges, juries, and the law to release violent criminals... You criticize those of us who wish to defend ourselves from those that you release back into society to prey upon us. Who are the real extremists? Counselor? End of quote. Spin the numbers, my friends, to emphasize a point. No matter the source or whether they are true or not, we have witnessed absolute lies and deceit out of the gun grabbers during the past decade and more, beyond anything previously witnessed in America, and without apology from those who perpetuated the lies. Where does the fault lie for snipers such as the one who, at the time of the writing of this column, was terrorizing the D.C. area? First of all, it's been suggested that it could have been the work of Al-Qaeda or some other terrorist group or individual. See, once again, how the Al-Qaeda, the boogeyman, the infamous boogeyman keeps popping up. Well, maybe it was Al-Qaeda, maybe not. That is possible as just some crazed individual or even a Horiuchi-type shooter. You remember Lon Horiuchi, the government's own paid terrorist, who sees himself as serving a purpose. What purpose we have yet to know. Consider the following. If it should be a government agent, and let's face it, anything's possible these days, he or she could be engaging in psychological warfare, knowing that the publicity would have the sheeple crying for more stringent gun control measures. If it is just some crazed individual with a private agenda, such as the one which the government laid on Timothy McVeigh, 
you know, supposedly in retaliation of the government's attacks on the Davidian church, then the end result is one and the same. Gun control. And who knows, my friends, he or she could even be one of those individuals who were mind-controlled through the misdiagnosis of ADD and ADHD and the apparent prescription of those marvelous mind-altering drugs. (laughs) Yeah, right. War, my rear end. Ritland and Prozac. Another boogeyman. But what about the foreign terrorist aspect? I mean, I challenge you to consider our liberal immigration policies and those of our seemingly free-flowing borders. Anyone with a criminal or questionable background can get into this nation today. And if we don't let them in, they cry foul and discrimination, and they get the ACLU or the ADL involved to plead their case. Through the bar, of course. This is not an isolationist comment, but it's high time we go back to a quota system in this nation and carefully screen those who want to enter the United States. I mean, come on, it worked well for our parents and grandparents, and in some cases, those who came before them. Made a strong nation, too. But, oh, no, not today. Why, we just might offend somebody. We might offend some special interest group, and we just couldn't do that now, could we? Now, my friends, due to ingenious governmental programs such as GATT and NAFTA, we've exported more jobs from the U.S. than we've created. I'm talking meaningful jobs here, not a -a part-time, 20-hour-a-week gig at, at Mickey D's. And all during this time, we were allowing the free flow of drugs and thugs into the country. What does this have to do with gun control? More crime, more slime, and criminals don't buy guns at gun shows, not as a rule. They're bought off the street or stolen in most cases. Instead of the government waging meaningful wars on drugs and crime, we wage war on private, honest, law-abiding citizens. Well, it's easier. The American people have proven that all with the help of elected officials and members of the bar, in many cases one and the same. Remember, my friends, once the honest citizenry has been completely disarmed, and that is their goal, it's much easier to control the people. Does it all sound far-fetched to you? Read your history books, my friends. Study it. Get to know every nuance of what has happened to people of any nation whose rights and freedoms were revoked by a tyrannical government. John F. Kennedy, once again, by calling attention to a well-regulated militia, the security of the nation and the right of each citizen to keep and bear arms, our founding fathers recognized the essential civilian nature of our economy. And although it is extremely unlikely that the fears of governmental tyranny, which gave rise to the Second Amendment, will ever be a major danger to our nation, the amendment still remains an important declaration of our basic civilian-military relationships, in which every citizen must be ready to participate in the defense of his country. For that reason, I believe the Second Amendment will always be important. Hey, hope you'll stay with us for the second hour, tonight's Perspectives on America. When we return, we will pick up and complete the column that we're sharing with you right now. If you've got to leave us, The best is yet to come. Stay with us. We'll be back. I 
Part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm. And fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished, and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. But I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pouty arco super tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. Drinksupertea.com. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network. 